You're listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. It's quite a weekend, friends. In the aftermath of the big announcement last week, I really appreciated all the well wishes and congratulations and all, all the rest of it. Thank you so much. Very exciting times here in the Freedom Hut. And just remember that the uh, Buck Sexton Show will continue every day as a podcast in addition to the uh, 12 to 3 slot that I'll be doing a show with Clay Travis starting June 21st. Oh, my gosh, are we ever fired up about this? It's going to be an incredible show. We're going to do great stuff. But you can also listen to just me ranting Buck style, doing my going Buck wild on the Buck Sexton show. So if you're a podcast listener right now, you're still going to be getting that podcast every day. So just remember that and get ready for June 21st, 12 to 3 Hundreds and hundreds of stations across the country. Your online data and identity is constantly under attack. That much we know. Big tech is constantly looking for ways to withhold and use your information to sell. So what's the best way to keep your privacy and operate in business and in your personal life when you're doing anything online? Introducing Secure, the 100% privacy and security-focused instant messaging and email platform Located in Switzerland, that's the country where the world's strictest data privacy laws are in effect. Secure, spelled S-E-K-U-R, is hailed by privacy advocates globally with the assurance that their data is kept truly safe by proprietary technology. It's an independent platform with military-grade encryption methods. Your data is yours alone. Secure does not data mine, use, or sell your data. Experience the ultimate bliss of knowing that your privacy is not in jeopardy from the prying hands of big tech. It's time to take back your privacy. Welcome to Secure. Go to Secure.com. Remember, it's very important you get this spelling because you got to be clear on this one. S-E-K-U-R.com. S-E-K-U-R.com. Please use the coupon code BUCK for one free week and 25% off. Be sure to use that coupon code BUCK. So now you heard about it here on the show. Secure. Go to S-E-K-U-R dot com and regain your privacy. I was in Miami over the weekend with my two brothers, and we had a great time together. Uh, I will tell you that Miami is not a place that you, at least South Beach, not a place you really want to be over Memorial Day weekend. There's so much traffic, and they shut down roads it's like they intentionally make the traffic worse. I even asked a cop about it. I said, why are you guys closing the causeway? The only real way in and out of South Beach uh, to one lane. They said, we're just trying to manage the flow. It's like, well, that doesn't seem like a good idea if you're trying to go someplace. But I, I had a great weekend with the brothers. We had a, a range day, went shooting on all day Saturday, tactical shooting stuff. Uh, and, and we had such a great time. I've got fantastic brothers their names are Keats and Mason. We only like strange names in my family. Anyway, uh, so we, we had a great day. But then I got word about what happened in a part of Miami. There's there's a mass shooting. Three guys got it's all on video. Three guys got out of a uh, got out of an SUV and just started. They had semi-automatic rifles and they were at a a, uh, a rap concert. And they just started shooting into a crowd. Two people dead, 20 people hit by by bullets, 20 people wounded. 
And this is just one of many incidents across the country that's getting attention right now in major cities on Memorial Day weekend. There is there's there are a lot of violence out there and we're seeing these these viral videos of it. We're seeing what's happening in place after place, whether it's the recent homicide numbers in Portland or the the punching in the face for absolutely no reason of an Asian-American woman uh, in Chinatown in New York City. All of these different incidents where you can see these videos of people who are being attacked, people who are being uh, shot, people who are suffering violence in our society when they should. You would think we would be safer than we've been in a long time, considering that there's been so little human contact for for about a year because of covid relatively speaking so little contact but no what we have is mass increases across the country in shootings and violence on the streets and you have to wonder what is it going to take for democrats to understand that we have to do something about this that this isn't just going to go away there has been a change in perception among those who are willing to or prone to do violence, that now is a time when they are less likely to be caught, less likely to be severely punished. The criminal element in our society thinks that they can act with a more free hand against innocence than they have in a long time, and it comes directly from the undermining of police. We see this. It comes from the narrative that cops are the problem when really cops are the solution. And when does it finally dawn upon Democrats that if they don't change course here, this is just going to continue to get worse and they will pay a price in the midterms. Finally, the corporate media is having to wake up to this reality. They've tried so very hard to hide this, to act like it's, not really something that's as bad as we're saying it is. They've done everything in their power to downplay this. But now we are finally at a place where they're seeing that the violence is not something that can be uh, discarded anymore, not something that can be completely covered up or not covered at all, really, by the by the media. And you know what part of this is? There's there's a deep incompetence from the top down of our government. Now, I know that law enforcement is primarily a state and local issue, but there is a tone that is set from the very top, a national conversation, a national perception. And when you have people like Joe Biden and Kamala Harris in charge, there is a growing sense among people that are having to deal with all of this of lawlessness. It creates a cycle. It creates a perception that things are deteriorating. They're getting worse. And what makes that even more challenging to deal with is that they when they finally have to look at what's happening, when when Harris and Biden and this White House and this Democrat Party at the national level has to has to look at the situation, can't just avert their eyes anymore. They take the wrong lessons from it. We have violence escalating in this country. And what do Democrats focus on? What are we hearing about from them? Oh, that's right. A January 6th commission. That's what we that's what we really need to be hearing about. 
We need to be hearing about the January 6th commission as if that's going to make anyone truly safer, as if the real problem out there is that we haven't had enough of a focus on one riot that involved right wingers, one riot that did not result in a single fatality of law enforcement or a bystander, but did result in the, in a, in the death of Ashley Babbitt, an unarmed female protester shot in the neck. But the narrative that you hear from Biden is very similar to what you'd hear from, say, lunatic leftist Keith Olbermann, who if you if you follow his stuff on Twitter, I mean, this guy, I think he's in the process of a long, sustained mental breakdown. And maybe he's been in in the midst of some kind of an emotional meltdown for many, many years now. But this is what you hear from Democrats. Cities are, are deteriorating. I mean, for Miami, which is a great city with great people. On its Memorial Day weekend, have a mass shooting, people just pulling up to a crowded, a crowded venue and shooting into the crowd. Three people. And this is this is third world lawlessness kind of stuff. And you would think that there would be a sense of urgency to tackle this, to deal with it right away. It's Miami. It's Portland. It's L.A. It's New York. It's Philadelphia. It's Washington, D.C. It's Detroit. It's New Orleans. It's St. Louis. You'd think that there would be some willingness to see what's really going on and to take some kind of action. But no, they'd rather talk about the January 6th insurrection. Play three. This is the attitude those of us who want democracy and not dictatorship must take. Republican-dominated states attempting to rewrite federal law or Supreme Court verdicts or the basic right of every American to vote must suffer twice as much as they try to make the rest of the country suffer. The Republicans are lost. They are committed to Trumpism. They are committed to refusing all election outcomes they do not like. They are committed to violence. Faced with the existential issue that the demographics of the nation will make them into a permanent minority, they are willing to sacrifice everything, including you and me and this nation's future, to retain their power. It is like invasion of the body snatchers. They are gone. Stop trying to negotiate with them. The Republicans' naked attempt to overthrow the government last January was just practice. These are bullies. And bullies stop only when they are hurt more than they can hurt. And the anti-democracy party must be hurt so badly that it can never recover. This guy is out of his mind. He's great. Just remember, MSNBC used to pay this guy millions of dollars to be their biggest host at 8 o'clock. Just, I, I want you to remember that. This guy, this lunatic... They tried to overthrow the government last January. Yes. How exactly? How are a bunch of unarmed uh, unarmed uh, rioters going to overthrow the government? How, how is that? I just want one of these leftist lunatics. I just want one of them to explain to me how this plan was supposed to come to fruition. I mean, what were they going to do a sit in? Well, Democrats do that in state capitals and other places in Congress. They do that whenever they want. That's not going to overthrow the government. What were they going to do? What was QAnon shaman really going to withstand an assault from uh, from Metro SWAT, from the National Guard, from, you know, FBI tactical teams? What was he going to do? He's going to throw his spear at them. This is this is very damaging, though, because. 
They use the exaggeration of January 6th. They exaggerate what happened on that day. They use this to bludgeon the other side, to bludgeon conservatives into silence, while the true authoritarians continue to be the Democrats. The true authoritarians in this country vote for Biden and Harris and our leftists and our Marxists and our communists. That's what's really happening in our society. But they have this narrative that they think excuses or erases the reality of what you and I can so plainly see. The only violence they want to talk about is a a day that the violence was against a protester, a rioter, and not actually lethal against the state. Meanwhile, day in and day out, people who live in our cities, our fellow Americans, our neighbors, people are being shot in ever-increasing numbers month to month, year to year, because of the undermining of law enforcement and the abandonment of rule of law and individual responsibility in society as a foundational principle by the Democrat Party. Because what do they offer us up instead? Oh, we'll just spend more money and teach more critical race theory. And that's really going to solve the problems. That's really going to make everything seem so much better. I eat no for breakfast. Mm -hmm. Um, So have I been told many times during my career um, things from, oh, you're too young. It's not your turn. They're not ready for you. Um, No one like you has done it before. I've heard all of those things many times over the course of my career, but I didn't listen. And I would encourage anyone who's been told that, whatever their gender, to not listen. Because, again, don't be encumbered by the inability of others to see the potential of who you are. Why would I make you listen to some Kamala Harris stuff there? Why would I make you do that? You, you might be asking that question. I understand. It's a fair question for you to ask. Well, it's because I want you to really understand this is the vice president of the United States. And everything she says sounds like a nightmarishly boring, um, just boilerplate HR seminar. I mean, this, this is the person. She reminds me every time in my life when I've worked for a, a, a company or, you know, back in, in college or something. And I had to sit through some, you know, you know, womp, 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 Charlie Brown mom kind of like what, what am I? Why am I being talked to this way? Kamala Harris gives a speech, and it's as inspiring as listening to an airline attendant tell you about how to put on the seatbelt, right? That's what, that's what it reminds me of. You just sit here, you go, why, why do I have to listen to this? This person is really the second in command, in a sense, of the United States government. Oh, she's already backing away from the border. You know that? They're, they're already saying, well, that's not really... That's not really her issue. We'll, we'll get into that in a little bit. But she was at the Naval Academy giving a graduation speech over the weekend. And she got a lot of heat because it was a Memorial Day weekend. And she put out a tweet that was basically, you know, have a great weekend, everybody. And people were like, OK, do, do you know what the weekend's about? Do, do you know what people are thinking about for this weekend? What what it brings to mind? No, no, she did not, did not give that much thought at all. 
And yet Kamala was at the Naval Academy giving her speech. And um, let's just say that she she sunk her battleship, so to speak, did not make it through the Naval Academy speech. It was not a, a good speech. And this is the kind of stuff that the, in a sense, deputy commander in chief, I know that's not really a, a title, but here's the kind of stuff that she was saying at the Naval Academy. One country's carbon emissions can threaten the sustainability of the whole earth. One country's carbon emissions can threaten the sustainability of the whole earth. Oh, gosh, we should. What do we do? Yeah, what are we going to do? If that's true, shouldn't the climate change movement just be lobbying China every day to change what it's doing? Why does the climate change movement in this country even bother with what America's doing when at the end of the day, if China doesn't change its ways, we're, we're not going to be able to avoid the catastrophic warming they say is going to happen? Well, you all know the answers to this. But, you know, I, I'm showing you this stuff. I'm telling you about this stuff, whether it's with about Kamala Harris, Joe Biden, um, because the fact that these are the people who are in charge explains so much of what you see going on. Yeah, a lot of things are still functioning. Well, we're still America. We're still a great country with incredible people who are doing amazing things every day. But when it comes to governance, when it comes to those who are given power to make decisions for the benefit of this nation and to defend the Constitution, we have people in charge. You say, I, I can't believe they're in charge of anything. I mean, Joe Biden, I have to ask you, would you hire? I know there are a lot of business owners who listen to this show. Would you hire Joe Biden to do anything for you? Well, you know, customer relations, work in the package room, whatever. I think the answer is no. No, you would not. And and with Kamala with Kamala Harris, I mean, Democrat voters, in, in essence, already really passed their judgment on her at the national level when she could barely get any attention, uh, any support when she ran for president. But now we got Kamala Harris lectures happening all the time. This midshipman is the era we are in. And it is unlike any era that came before. So the challenge now, the challenge before us now, is how to mount a modern defense to these modern threats. So let me share with you, for example, a personal experience. A few years ago, when I was in the United States Senate, I visited the USS Scranton uh, it was outside of San Diego, California. I know it's so it's so boring and so uninspiring that I again, I don't want to take up your time. I never want to waste even a minute of your time. But you hear this is the vice president. Really? This is this is what uh, what we're hearing from, you know, she she had a, a particularly uh, rough time in this speech. I, I think everybody really understood that it was it was uh, it was bad. Um there's actually a here you go. There was a line. She made a joke. Um, she said, just ask any Marine today. Would she rather carry 20 pounds of batteries or a rolled up solar panel? And I'm positive she will tell you a solar panel. And so would he. 
Okay, so yeah, female Marines with solar panels. That's that's really that's the future of the United States military now, according to Kamala Harris. <sighs> Friends, um, it it really is like the the third tier professors somehow gathered together in the faculty lounge and, and came up with how they're going to run the United States federal government. That's what you're go- that's what you see happening right now. Fortunately, there are still checks and balances in the system. There are places like Florida with Governor Ron DeSantis and, and even Governor Abbott in Texas is doing some good stuff to fill in the gaps here, the gaps in governance. But it's not going to get any better with Biden or Kamala, I can assure you. You know how important small businesses are to me. And for a few weeks now, I've been telling you about an amazing company based out of Charleston, South Carolina, called Allegiance Flag Supply. I absolutely love their story. Three friends who noticed that the American flags they had in front of their houses that were constantly getting tangled, mildewed, torn, or shredded decided that they were going to do something about it. They searched high and low for a better flag, but big box stores and Amazon purchases only turned up flags that were made in China, or if they were made in the U.S., they felt mass-produced and they came out of some big machine with cheap materials. Like you and me, the flag means more to them, so they decided to do something about it. They started Allegiance Flag Supply out of their own garage and have built the company from the ground up. No investors, no loans, just their blood, sweat, tears, and time. Today, they make the best American flags and accessories you can find on the market. So if you've been looking to purchase a flag for your home or you're tired of your flag getting tangled or torn up, shredded, happens very quickly, go to Allegiance Flags website, showallegiance.com. That's the website, showallegiance.com. Dot com. You'll find the highest quality American flags. Go to showallegiance.com, enter promo code BUCK for 10% off your purchase. Get your flag for the upcoming summer season again by going to showallegiance.com and enter promo code BUCK for 10% off. That's promo code BUCK for 10% off when you go to showallegiance.com. I've always made it a point to pay attention to when people are happy for you and when they're not. I've always made it a point to call, for example, friends of mine, not only when they're successful in something, but also when they've had a big uh, downturn in some regard. If, if friends of mine have ever lost their jobs, because you, you remember that. You remember when people reach out to you when things are tough, and you remember when people reach out to you and congratulate you. Uh, these are things that I will tell you. You, you learn a lot about individuals in, in those moments. And I, I was honestly so thankful for people in my life, but also in in conservative media uh, who had really nice things to say when the announcement was formally made last Thursday that I will be, and I I try to be very specific about how I say this, and I've been thinking, reflecting on this a lot of the weekend, I will be taking over a portion of the radio time slot formerly held by the great Rush Limbaugh. That's, I'm not replacing I'm not taking over all of it. I'm taking over a a portion of the time slot. I will be premieres show uh, with Clay Travis, the two of us together in that time slot. Clay Travis and Buck Sexton show. That's it. There's no replacing Rush. And you know, I'm, I'm very clear on that. Rush is the giant of our industry, right? You know, if you if, if you come after Henry Ford, 
You know, who is the who's the CEO of Ford Motors, you know, after Henry Ford? Can any of you think now it might have been a great CEO, but, you know, there's Henry Ford. and There's everybody else. Right. Who is the I'm just trying to, you know, Steve Jobs. Well, that's recent enough. Maybe you'd know that it's uh, the other guy whose name is Tim Cook. But Tim Cook is great. And Apple's the most profitable or, you know, the most valuable it's ever been. But he's not Steve Jobs. So I get this. And, and I, and I want to I really want to establish that level of, of respect here. It's important. I also want to say that the people who are in my business who went out of their way to say nice things, especially look, when they reach out to me privately, I, that's great. But also when they say something publicly about it, it's really meaningful because I'm a guy who I will tell you in this business, I've been I've just been grinding it out for a decade now. And there have been some. Some things that should have gone my way, I think, that didn't here and there. Uh, there have been some TV opportunities that I was very close to getting and and did not get for whatever reason. And, you know, and that's by the way, that's a part of being in media. And I, and I understand that. But, you know, I, I've had some some close calls where things would have been very different in a very good way. But I had to just keep on doing what I do. I had to keep on showing up, doing the best possible show that I could and having and focusing on the work. That's always been my thing. I focus on the work. You'll note I, I don't I don't get into petty things with people. I, I don't spend my time. I certainly don't spend time on this show uh, criticizing or, or, or attacking uh, other conservatives. If anything, I want to I want to uplift them. I want to have great guests on my show and I want to praise people on the right who are doing good work in media. So there are the people that were very nice to me and they're uh, recently or you know said very nice things. And I want to take a moment to say thank you to them. Um, and then there are also the people that I owe my career to at some level. Rush is one of them. My feeling on this has always been that Rush Limbaugh gave me, and he had to he had to approve it and bless it, so he really was the one who gave me my big break, filling in for Rush Limbaugh many times, but even just that first time, I think I was the youngest person to ever do it. And that was really meaningful. Um, that was a big break in my career, but rush gave me my big break. Glenn Beck, who is a premier radio host and, and honestly a, a giant in conservative media. He gave me my start. I wouldn't be here. I wouldn't be doing what I do right now without Glenn Beck. And I, and I really want to say that to you. And that's not, you know, I, I wouldn't be successful and, and have had, have had some of the, opportunities especially this most recent opportunity of going in 12 to 3 starting june 21st hundreds and hundreds of stations across the country with my co-host clay travis i wouldn't have that without rush so clearly i owe a huge debt to rush but i wouldn't have even been in the game without glenn i wouldn't have even started this and glenn actually told this story you've heard me tell it before he told it on his show last week and just you know his team reached out to me and Stu Bergier, who is uh uh, I think I said Bergier, Bergier, pardon me, <laughs> but Stu, I just know him as Stu. Stu is a great guy, and he reached out to me and said congratulations, and it was so kind. That would have been more than enough for me. I mean, it's just nice to hear from people in the industry who have good things to say. But Glenn really, really went the extra mile for me. And, you know, Glenn's a guy who I don't talk to him a lot these days, but he knows that I, I respect him, I appreciate him, and if I ever saw him, uh, you know, I, and I mean, if I bump into him somewhere at a venue or something, I mean, I, I give Glenn a hug. We're, we hug. That's how I feel about Glenn Beck. 
Here's what he had to say about the announcement last week. They have just announced a replacement for Rush Limbaugh, and I couldn't be more excited and thrilled. It's two people. One of them is Clay Travis. Clay Travis, I don't you know more because he's he's mainly came from sports, but I'm a big fan of what he's done. And I am so excited that a friend of mine uh, and a former co-worker, Buck Sexton, yeah. is going to be the second half of the partnership, the duel that will replace Rush Limbaugh. How awesome is that? Former, yeah. He was a Blaze uh, contributor. He I, worked here for a long time. He was, he was going, national security. Uh, yeah, uh, he was national security. He sat there in my office, I don't even know, 15 years ago. And, uh, and I said, you need to work here. And he said, I, I'm, I'm going to work on Wall Street. And I said, uh-huh, you need to work here. And I don't remember how it happened, but that's what he did. He came to work for us uh, and was very, very popular, very fast. Uh, started his own uh, radio show with Premier and now is going to be part of the team that is replacing Rush Limbaugh. And nobody replaces Rush Limbaugh, but and I know these guys no, but, both have a healthy respect for that, but they can, you know, they're really powerful, interesting, smart guys. Really, yeah. really smart. Uh, I think this is going to be a powerful duo. Uh, Clay, welcome to the family. Buck, I couldn't be more proud. Congratulations. Congratulations. I honestly got a, I got a, I got a frog in my throat when I heard that, when when Glenn said that. So, that was really meaningful. And what Glenn said there, the the only thing that he did, it was ten years ago, not fifteen years ago. <laughs> but I mean, it feels like feels like twenty years ago. But it was ten years ago, almost to the almost to the day. Now, oh my gosh, I just realized this. It was, I think, it was June. 5th of 2011 that I sat in Glenn's office right around there. I'd have to go back and look at a calendar, but it was like the Wednesday of the first week of June. I sat in Glenn's office in Midtown Manhattan. And it's just like he said, he, he said, you know, I, I told him what my plans were. Why did I have that meeting? Because one of his people heard about me and they just wanted me to maybe contribute some articles for their new website. That was the story at the time. And I knew a lot about national security and counterterrorism. So I was going to write articles for their website. And Glenn, to his to to my, you know, everlasting gratitude and to his tremendous credit, talked to me for an hour. Just the two of us just sitting there, just talking about everything conservative media. He says, no, 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 you're coming to work for me. You're going to work here. And I love that he said coworker. I was his employee. He's being very kind. I was his employee but he's being nice. You know, I was working for Glenn when I came on board and it changed my life. Glenn Beck changed my life. And I, and I've said this before, and I think people really need to, to know this because if you, if you listen to the show, if you consume conservative content, the blaze, which I know is doing really well now as a website, and there's a whole bunch of other talents that are doing great over there and everything. But when the blaze got started, when it got going, that place was ninja school for young conservative pundits, writers, authors, radio hosts, TV show hosts. It was incredible. The people that came through there, uh, if, if you think back to it in the early days when I was doing a show called Real News, it was uh, Will Kane, now at Fox. He was my co-host there. 
Pete Hegseth, he's at Fox. He was on our show all the time. Uh, we, we had so many folks come through. Lawrence Jones comes from, he got his start at the Blaze, comes from the Blaze. I, I, honest, I can't even think. Katie Pavlich, Guy Benson, used to be doing the Blaze all the time before they got picked up at Fox. I, I think back to all the people that went through there. You know, Tommy Lahren got her start, really. I mean, she was at One American News, but she really blew up in, at the blaze. And it gave so many of us a start in a business where it's really hard to get that. And, and Glenn deserves a tremendous amount of credit. You have a better, more robust, more talented conservative media, period. Because of Glenn Beck's vision to start GBTV and the blaze. And he is the reason I'm even in this industry. So, you know, I get a little choked up when I hear the guy that gave me my start, the guy that changed my life. Let me pursue my passion and let me make a real difference in this country in whatever way that I have been able to. And hopefully we'll be able to do a bigger one of the future. To have Glenn, I mean, it's it's like getting a hug and a and a. I'm proud of you from my Obi-Wan Kenobi here. That's what it feels like. There's somebody else. There's somebody else out there who had very kind things to say and is a, a great guy. And I really appreciate not only what he said about me, but what he does for conservative uh, conservatism day in and day out. And I'll get to that in just a second. Some people in this business are really generous and really supportive, and I appreciate them. Uh, there aren't very many of them who are like that, but there are some out there who are willing to give a, a high five and a congratulations to other people in the field. They're not just thinking about themselves. I was just talking before about what Glenn Beck uh, had done for me uh, and how he ch- changed my life, and so I'm forever grateful to the guy and and also, I just I do really re- just respect him. He's a great storyteller. He's a great talent. He's done a lot for conservative media, not just with his own work, but also bringing into the business people like me. There are a lot of folks who do this. You know, if you like Lawrence Jones, if you like Will Kane, if you like, you know, uh, I can't even think of them all off the top of my head. So many different talents got started with Glenn at the blaze. So he's done a lot for conservatism. Another person who is doing a lot for conservatism and conservative media and for this country is Dan Bongino. Dan Bongino has been a friend to me. He's advised me on things. He's spoken to me at detail at length about conservative media strategy and how we get our messaging out there. And, and as you know, he's involved in Rumble. He's involved in Parler. And I've been a huge supporter of his efforts to make those platforms happen because that allows conservatives. We're creating those spaces. We're creating those platforms to be able to have our message heard. This is essential. We're not going to win unless we have these things. But also, Dan's just a good guy. He's always been an honorable guy. And, and I... I appreciate him in this business. And he had some very kind words to say about my announcement last week. And I I want to let you hear them. And then I want to say a few words about Dan. So yesterday, uh, a friend of mine, Buck Sexton, 
Um, and Clay Travis, who I don't know, but I've heard is a good guy. Don't know him, never met him before in my life, but I do know Buck very well. First off, I want to sincerely congratulate both Buck Sexton and uh, Clay Travis. I don't, again, I don't know Clay, so I don't want to be disingenuous, but I heard he's, he's, a, he's a great guy. I do know Buck. Buck is a great guy. And I know they're both very talented and have built very, very good quality audiences by producing great product. So I congratulate them on their success. Very kind words from Dan and deeply appreciated. Uh, what he said there is true. Dan, Dan and I have known each other for years. Uh, we have both filled in for uh, Sean Hannity in the past on radio. And Dan has earned. And th- this is really this is something that I I think you need to know. There are some people who are in this business who, you know, they got a family member or they they have a leg up or something. or They got a famous last name. Dan Bongino has earned every every pair of eyes, every pair of ears he's got himself through talent, hard work, determination. And he's been willing to tell people like me some of the the things that he's picked up, some of the what things that have worked for him along the way to help other conservatives because he wants our side to win. He's a warrior for our team. He believes that what's what's best for the country is what's important first and, and foremost. And, and anybody who's with him, anybody who wants to, to do their part in trying to fight for the values that we all share, he'll actually give a hand up. That is rare in this business. There are a lot of people, and I, I'm not going to name the people who aren't generous this way. I mean, last week there were there were a couple of folks who maybe made an announcement or something on the day of, of my announcement. You know, there were a couple of people out there, but I, I don't want to focus on anything negative. I don't want to do that because that's not that's not what I'm about. I was, you know, there are a couple of folks I was a little disappointed in last week. Um, so instead of talking about them, I'd rather just say thank you to Dan Bongino, a great warrior for conservatism. Um, he is going to be the cumulus Westwood One host, as you know, from 12 to 3. And Dan, Dan does a great show, and he's a great guy. And he has always been. So if you're ever wondering, it's like, what, is, what does Buck think of Dan Bongino? This here on the record for all of you. I like Dan Bongino a lot, and he's earned every bit of his success. And he's obviously been phenomenally successful, particularly in the last few years in conservative media. He's earned it. A lot of respect for that. And then there's, of course, Glenn Beck, too. And, uh, you know, what can I tell you? Glenn changed my life, right? So Glenn and Dan, thank you to both of you so much. And to say the things you said, I know they both meant it. I know they both meant it. And they didn't have to say it, and they did it anyway. They're good guys. They're quality individuals. And I'm honored to have worked with them and and been a part of the movement that we're all fighting for alongside them. Shields high, as we say. It's almost like the corporate Democrat-aligned media is suddenly discovering that there's violence in a lot of American cities that's getting worse and worse month after month. Places like Portland almost seem out of control. Is this really sudden? Is this really something they've just figured out? Let's get our friend David Harsanyi in the mix. He's a senior writer at nationalreview.com. Go check out his latest pieces there. David, great to have you. Always a pleasure. Thank you. What do you think about this? I mean, how could they not know that this is what's going on? Well, I mean, they knew, obviously. Right. No, I, I know they knew, but you yeah. know what I mean, right? Like, it's like, oh, I guess we have to cover this now. 
Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, I mean, last summer, you know, it was a presidential election going on, so it was inconvenient for them to discuss, you know, widespread leftist violence. Now, I'm not saying these people are members of the Democratic Party, but they're leftists. They share some of the common goals of, of some Democrats. And, uh, you know, they were involved in the most expensive riots in American history. You know, over a billion dollars, I think it was, insurance companies had to pay out. Um, and you wouldn't have you would have thought that, uh, you know, there were just some, you know, mini uprisings here and there and that had nothing to do with leftism. And then now, you know, in Portland, where there's a huge spike in crime, some of it due to depolicing and, and you know, defunding the police, you know, they have to cover it. And they try to frame it as, you know, some wild extremists have hijacked the movement. But that's not what it really looked like to me, at least when it was happening. And I I have to say, I want your analysis of what's really going on in the minds of people who say public. And I'm talking about those who have platforms, who have influence, who say that defund the police is a good idea or something to be pursued. I, I have a hard time believing that anybody is that stupid, but it's also surprising to me because it seems that they don't care that they're being shown to be that stupid every time they say it. You know what I mean? They're, this this is something that it's such a foolish idea. It's so counterintuitive to any rational person that it should be embarrassing to say out loud. I think there are people who know better who say it, David, but they're not embarrassed to say it. Yeah, because they can join this movement and they, you know, and they'll be praised by the right people and no one's going to call them out on the TV shows they appear on and so on. So you know, first it was defund the police. And then, you know, when it started to maybe hurt Biden and other Democrats, then all of a sudden it was, well, we don't, you know, it just means redirecting funds and stuff like that. Well, why didn't you say that originally? But even then BLM activists would be like, no, we don't want cops. You know, we want to defund the police departments. And, you know, I'm not sure people know this, but we are not a heavily policed place. In, in many countries in Europe, for instance, there are more cops per capita than there are in the United States. It's not as if, you know, police forces are huge in this country and involved in our lives in the, in the way they are in many other countries. And uh, to, to defund the cops who are protecting quite often, you know, the most vulnerable populations in this country is insanity. You're not helping the people you're supposed to be, you know, supposed to be fighting for. And that's not to say there aren't bad cops here and there, but the idea that, you know, you 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 sort of make every cop look like a villain and you want to defund those departments. It's just it's it's counterproductive and insane. And I, I just can't believe any responsible person would would sign up for something like that. David, we're speaking to David Harsanyi, everyone from NationalReview.com. Do you think that, that that already the the numbers, because they look so bad? I mean, you had last year the as a top 50 cities, I think, had an average of 40 percent increase in shootings. Uh, or, or it might have even been in homicides, but it was definitely in shootings over the last uh, the, the previous year. Are the midterms just already starting to crop up in the mind of, of Democrats? Is, is that already what's pushing? Because you can tell there's a, there's uh, the, the the defund the police chorus is getting less loud and prominent in the Democrat Party. And it seems like they're they're not they're not pivoting toward law and order. But they realize that this is starting to become a liability or, or do they? Um, I think most do. I mean, it depends where you are. You, ha you know, if you're someone who's in a completely progressive district, sometimes, you know, a completely, you know, well to do, prosperous, you know, dominantly, you know, 
white neighborhood, then you get to say things like that because it doesn't affect you. Um, you know, if you're in in a, in a in a suburb somewhere of a you know of a major city where crime is starting to creep creep out towards you and things like that, you're probably worried about it now. And if you're an African American, maybe in a in an area where where crime is on the uptick, you might you might be worried about it. I don't think defund the police is as popular with uh, Black Americans as it is with you know the activist class white Americans. So. Um, I think it's troubling, but I think there are kind of politicians in the Democratic Party now that don't really care, you know, about that district in Pennsylvania that has to be held. That's a purple district, you know. So um, I think for Joe Biden and for leaders of the party, it's going to be problematic. And that's why you're seeing a lot of the stories you're seeing and a lot of the, you know, backing away, as you say. Speaking to David Harsani, senior writer at National Review. David, how, how are you feeling about the return to normalcy? In this country, you know, I, I saw you had Pete Buttigieg over the weekend saying that wearing because because, you know, I, I, I flew. I was down in Miami and, and came back, uh, you know, after being down with my brothers who lived down there for a few days. And all, all they just goad me now with, you know, oh, yeah, our governor's DeSantis. Who's yours again? I'm like, yeah, it's Cuomo. It's Cuomo. I know. But uh, the masks on planes, for example, you know, masks on planes, um, they Say that we should do this. Pete Buttigieg says we should, says we should do this because it's about being respectful. I mean, we're, this is really what we've turned into now. Now this is like a cultural signifier for people. Yeah, I thought it was about science, right? And then now it's about respect. I, I you know, I, I went to a supermarket the other day and basically I was the only person without a mask on. And just I don't understand why we all got vaccinated. Um, I think there were 20 cases, maybe maybe I'm wrong about this, but something like 20 cases in my county today. You have to you literally have to go and try to get sick and you probably couldn't right now. And yet everyone's wearing masks. So I don't really understand it. I don't I it's become sort of a religion a right, you know, R I T E to to wear a mask and show that you care more. I don't even know what it's about. I care about the science, you know, and legitimately care about my, you know, not getting sick and my family and we're all, you know, we're we're done with this. We're over it and people can constantly still want to maybe relive it. I don't know what it is, um, but I'll tell you something. It is scary how how easily, uh, to me at least, and unexpected in a way, at least where I live, maybe it's not this way everywhere, how easily people um, were cowed and listened to authorities and allowed the state to dictate what they were wearing and what they were doing for an entire year. And some people still can't get over it. I think that's pretty scary. It's a scary thing that I didn't, you know, where it's chilling in a sense how easily that can happen. And you wonder next emergency is it going to happen again or are people going to rebel but when you see them all walking around with masks still you know you wonder well i also feel like they they were able to very quickly weaponize public fear for political purposes not only against donald trump but also the the way that dissenting voices i mean we're a country david that i think likes to believe that free speech is more than just a a legal issue and legal um uh, legal protection, but also is a principle like there. We have this concept of we should be able to share ideas with each other without restriction, without re- without reprisal, um, certainly from the government, but also from corporations. You know, we, we should allow for the expression of ideas that we disagree with so we can at least hear each other out. That was absolutely not what happened during the pandemic. Uh, you know what my position we've ha- we've been having you on you know, regularly during the pandemic. And I, I would say 
that whether it was on lockdowns or masks or or any number of of major issues of school closures uh, of public policy when it came to covid, there was a real embrace of top down authoritarianism from from both the government, which shut down churches and and did violate the Constitution um, and also just across our culture and across corporate America and big tech. And I I find I don't think that this is something that we can ignore. I think that this is something we have to actually dive into more and really get an understanding for how deep this went and how problematic it is. Well, yeah, you make two important points there. One is that the ideals that we live by, the freedoms that we live by are not just freedoms because they're written. In fact, it has nothing to do with them being written down by the state. It has to do with something that we're born with. I mean, that's what uh, the Constitution and Declaration of Independence tell us. So if you believe in free speech, it's not just simply because it's written down. You believe in it as a value. I mean, tons of constitutions in Europe and Asia have free speech rights written down in their constitutions. But of course, they're not followed. Right. So, you know, that that's important. And the second thing is that, you know, people are or people in mainstream media now are obsessed still talking about January 6th all the time. Listen, I think it was a bad thing and all of that. But the authoritarianism we saw over the last year was far more dangerous than anything a bunch of bozos did over there at the Capitol, in my opinion. I mean, you have um, governors acting without any, you know, just top down, completely unilaterally closing churches, closing your business, telling you what to wear, telling you where you can go, telling you you can't walk on the street without a mask in certain counties. Um, I, I, I've never seen something like that in the United States, uh, not in my lifetime. I think it's the most authoritarian thing we've seen. And they did it because we were all scared. Were, most people were scared. And uh, that's exactly when we need those laws to work. No one really needs protections when nothing's going on. You need those protections when someone's trying to take them away. And most people just completely you know, acquiesce to what these authorities wanted. And they still are doing it to some extent. Um, that is scary stuff because we might have even a bigger uh, you know, emergency happen. And then I, I just don't know if the people will be able to resist or want to resist. Speaking to David Harsani, senior writer at National Review, David, uh, you know, Kamala and Joe both gave speeches over the weekend. The media, they're trying, but they're clearly they, they recognize that there is an enthusiasm gap with this administration. Do you think that that's going to do you think that that's going to cost them politically? You, you think that this is going to matter? Yeah. Uh, I mean, listen, I, I just don't believe for a second anyone was excited about Joe Biden becoming president. He's been around forever. He's not uh, he's not a talented politician in the way many other presidents have have been. And he's not as charismatic, frankly. It's not to say he can't do a good job, whatever. I'm just saying just as a person, he's that's not that charismatic. And Kamala, no one likes her. No one has liked her. What she get? Four percent, I think, when she ran. Um, did she make it to Iowa? You know, it's you know, I mean, she made it to Iowa and that was it. Right. I think one state. So um, she's never been popular. Um, I think her I think her popularity uh, polling is like under, you know, is, is underwater by a, a decent amount. Um, so I think that that matters. I mean, I listen, vice president's not that important. But in the long run, I think Biden's a little different situation simply because he's much much older. And I think people think about the vice president a little more. And that's just a fact. So it matters. So um, when it comes to the midterms coming up, I just don't see him uh, saving the House. I mean, I hate to make predictions, but I just don't see him saving the House, at least for for Democrats. Not, you know, 
I don't think there's anything he's going to be able to do that's going to excite people not to vote uh, for Republicans in certain districts. David Harsani, NationalReview.com for his latest. David, always good to have you, sir. Always a pleasure. Thank you. Uh, the only sense I have is a sense of relief that we're finally going to try to find the true origins of this virus. And I think all the evidence points towards those labs in Wuhan. And if we find out that's the origins of this virus, then China really needs to pay. Uh, they haven't paid enough yet for unleashing this plague on the world. Um, I don't think that China's going to reveal what happened in those labs anytime soon. I think they're going to continue to try to cover it up. And if that's the case, I think it's reasonable for the American people uh, to draw uh, the conclusion that uh, China is covering up uh, an accident in those labs it always seemed like the more likely situation right but you certainly didn't get that sense from the mainstream media they, they had a very different view of all of this the corporate media was insisting that it was crazy to even talk about the lab leak from the wuhan institute of virology why well mostly because opposing trump was the single most important factor in all of this for them Opposing Trump was the one component of 2020 that mattered to the media more than anything else. Getting it right on what to do about or, or what happened with the covid origins. That was a, a secondary consideration, which is truly terrifying when you think about it. And now we talk about what are we going to do now? China has said that this could be the investigation could be America's Waterloo, which uh, OK, I'm not really sure how that how that's supposed to happen, but there's some bold talk. Uh, the Global Times, a Chinese state run newspaper, according to the Daily Mail, published an op ed Sunday. They attacked Joe Biden for launching an investigation in the lab leak idea. Last week, Biden gave U.S. intelligence 90 days to report back on all evidence. Suggestions that COVID-19 escaped from a Wuhan laboratory are gaining steam. And China accused U.S. of arrogance in presuming to know more than scientists they said the 2003 u.n declaration about wmd in iraq left the u.s discredited china warned that biden could quote meet his waterloo if he continues this inquiry so state media in china talking a lot talking a lot of tough talk about what will happen here if uh, if the biden administration continues to look into the origins of covid 19 i i want to be very clear with this uh i think that china is probably more worried about it than they have to be because i don't believe that biden really wants to get to the bottom of this i don't believe that biden really wants to be uh finding out the answers here because what is he going to do if if he does what benefit is it for biden for the democrat party here's representative malinowski malinowski rather on boycotting the beijing olympics play one well i think these are these are two separate things and 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 just another word on the the COVID issue i i want to hold china accountable uh because there's no question whatever the origins there there was a cover-up um but what china is hiding again are the origins of COVID, not the fact of COVID, which was known to us from a very very early point last year I mean, it wasn't China, after all, that called this a hoax or that said that, you know, we should take hydroxychloroquine or that it would go away by the summer. So we need to know the facts to prevent future pandemics. But we shouldn't use this investigation as a way of absolving ourselves of responsibility for what happened in our country. And on the Olympics, look, I just don't think it's appropriate 
to hold the Olympics in a country that's committing a genocide. That's, you know, this is in some ways worse than 1936 in, in that respect. And what our bill does, it doesn't force the athletes to boycott. I don't want them to lose this experience, but it would put pressure on the U.S. corporate sponsors of the game by saying that they can't contract with the U.S. government if they sponsor these games. That's mostly virtue signaling, right? That's what we're really talking about. Boycotting the Beijing Olympics, but not for the athletes, but only for the corporations. But uh, look, ultimately, if we can't have the Olympics in Beijing because there's genocide going on, why should U.S. companies be doing business with China? Ah, but you see, that that would be financially painful. That would actually incur costs for the elites and for the ruling class. So that's not going to happen. So they'll do things that are a show of displeasure with Chinese government policy, but nothing that will actually affect the net worth of the people that are running our country and certainly running our, our trade policy under the Biden administration. There will be no accountability for China as long as Joe Biden is in charge. That's that's something that I think you can take to the bank and be certain of. Does it make sense that the same company who controls half of online retail also passively eavesdrops on your private conversations at home? What about the idea that a single company controls 90 percent of Internet searches, runs your email service and gets to track everything you do on your smartphone? Big tech is more powerful than most countries are, and they profit by exploiting your personal data. It's time to put a layer of protection between your online activity and these tech juggernauts. And that's why I use ExpressVPN. Think about how much of your life is on the Internet. Sadly, every site you visit, every video you watch or message you send gets tracked and data mined. But when you use ExpressVPN on your device, the software hides your IP address, something big tech can use to personally identify you. So ExpressVPN makes your activity harder to trace and sell to advertisers. ExpressVPN also encrypts 100% of your internet data to keep you safe from hackers and eavesdroppers on your network. So stop handing over your personal data to the big tech monopoly that mines your activity and sells your information. Protect yourself with a VPN I trust to keep me safe online. Visit expressvpn.com slash buck. That's expressvpn.com slash buck to get three extra months free. Go to expressvpn.com slash buck right now to learn more. Um, first of all, the, it's, it's not a message to anything other than saying we're going to protect fairness in women's sports. We believe that um, it's important to have integrity in the competition, and we think it's important that they're able to compete on a level playing field. And, uh, you know, you've seen what's happened when you don't have that. Ron DeSantis is not tired of winning. He, he is winning so often that one could think that he might get tired of winning, but he is not tired of winning. He's actually doing a great job, as we all know. He is the best governor in America right now. He And, and it's more than just the results. And this is why I, I talk about this so much. And you know, I was just down in Miami over the weekend. I actually stopped by WIOD's studios in Miami to just check in and do some stuff. And... Uh, you know, Miami's a, a, a great city in a great state of Florida. And it's not just, though, that Ron DeSantis is making good decisions that affect Floridians. His decisions, I mean, what he's been able to do has been enormously beneficial to people who live all across America because, as he has said, Florida is West Berlin. 
Florida shows that lockdowns, that the authoritarian impulse, that the moves made by people in these blue states was unnecessary, counterproductive, and in fact, deeply destructive. And so this this has been really helpful for everyone all across the country. It's not just about what's happened in Florida. This shows us, you know, that that's part of the beauty of our system is that when when a state does something and it works out really well, other people can see that and they can say, I want that in my state or I'm going to move to that state or another state that's willing to do that, to take that approach. Right? Laboratories of democracy, each of our 50 states. Very, very important. And, and that's why I, I think Ron DeSantis is still the front runner to be the GOP nominee in a few years. I know it's a few years out, but I can't imagine that this guy is going to lose momentum given how on it he is. DeSantis, Ronnie D., getting it done over and over again. And, and as for what he's signing here, if I had told you 10 years ago, even five years ago, that it would be a controversial position that biological males could not compete against biological females in college athletics, high school athletics, you would have said, come on. It would have been considered anti-LGBTQ fear-mongering to say that 10 years ago. Oh, that'll that's not going to happen. No one's saying... That a that a a professional you know male powerlifter is going to trans is going to become a, a transgender female and then break all of the female weightlifting records in the Olympics? No, that's not gonna. Well, that is happening, right? Laurel Hubbard is the name of the individual here, and it it is exactly what's going on. And so in Florida, they're saying, well, at the state level, we're not going to allow this kind of stuff. And there are a lot of powers designated to the states. One thing that that is a a takeaway that everybody should have about what we've seen in this year of covid is that the states, when they want to take substantial action, there's there's a lot they can do more. I think they went beyond even what they're allowed to do for covid and certainly beyond what was intelligent to do. But you, you look at the amendments, of the Constitution, you know, the powers not designated to the federal government fall to the states. And that's that leaves a lot of territory for state action, for the protection of rights, which is not. And I think this is so important. Protecting rights is not big government. Protecting individual liberty is not big government. It's actually the basis of our government. That, that's why we have a government. So just because the government is doing something doesn't mean it's wrong. I think there is a a strain in the conservative mind that's, oh, this hands off. The government should be hands off with everything. Well, not when it comes to protecting your rights. In some cases, from federal overreach, the states can do something to try to uh, create spaces for your rights at the state level, uh, but also to protect you from the increasingly brazenly politicized corporations out there and, and what they're trying to do and what they're Agenda is. Oh, I, I mentioned we're talking to David, uh, David Harsani. I, I mentioned um, Buddha judge mask, train and mask. Re- I'm sorry, plane and train mask requirements. Uh, and, and I just have to know, this is the kind of stuff that you could expect was going to be said eventually. I knew this would be said, 
But this is where we are now on how it, it was the science. Listen to the science, right? That's what they were saying. It was that. Now it's something else. And they're telling you straight up it's something else. Play 13. The Biden administration says you will always follow the science. What science is there that says that a, a fully vaccinated person needs to wear a mask on a, on a plane or a train or a bus? So uh, the public health guidance is a little bit different for uh, situations like uh, planes and trains. Part of it has to do with the unique conditions of the physical space. Part of it has to do with the conditions of it being a workplace and uh, folks who really don't have a choice uh, about being there the way it is in some other cases. Uh, of course, uh, these rules and regulations uh, and, and, and these bodies of guidance always evolve with the science. But the bottom line is uh, we have a set of rules in place to keep people safe. And I really hope that travelers will respect flight attendants, bus operators, workers, anybody who is simply doing their job to keep people safe. You think about what uh, people who work in travel and transportation, think about what they've been through over the course of the last year with their jobs in doubt and with a lot of challenges on the job and with a record number, at least in recent uh, months, traveling this weekend. Let's do it in a way we can be proud of and show respect for all of those workers who are getting us to where we need to be. Judge is a master at what you'd have to call eloquent idiocy. He speaks with tremendous fluidity. He's very, he's loquacious. He's got a wide vocabulary. He's almost convincing. And she realized what he's saying is moronic. Doesn't make any sense. What? It's about respect. People have to show up and do their jobs. If they're worried about the virus, they have had plenty of time There is no airline attendant. There is no bus driver in America who has not had plenty of time to get the vaccine. And if they are vaccinated, they should have no reasonable worry about being around anybody when it comes to COVID. So what are we even talking about? They just keep changing the the pathetic explanation for their tyrannical lunacy. I was just on a plane twice over the weekend, and it's dumb. And that you have to hear 50 times over, you have to mask except when you're eating, and then, you know, don't eat too long. Make sure you know our mask requirements. I mean, the the airlines, because they're they're federally regulated, get away with so much stupidity and heavy-handed, just it's just brain-dead crap all the time. Oh, turn off your electronic device because it might interfere with the communications. Remember that in the cockpit? That was never true. Think about how many planes be you know, having comms issues. How many planes might get into accidents because somebody didn't turn off their Kindle. Give me a break. They finally got rid of that one after years and years and years. But the, F- the FAA, people who run this thing, they're not, they're not brave and they're not smart. People making the decisions at these federal agencies, not impressive. And Pete Buttigieg, not impressive. Smart, but not wise. Right? Has some knowledge doesn't have any wisdom. And that's what you hear in this whole statement. Oh, but the people that have to show up and it's out of respect for them. Get a vaccine and then shut up. Get vaccinated. I don't want to hear it. There's no, ah, but I used to have to wear a mask because I'm uncomfortable. Don't be a baby. All right. You don't have to do these jobs. You don't have to be a bus driver, an airline attendant. Get vaccinated and you're fine. And if that's not good enough, get another job. End of story. But Pete judge needs to placate the sensibilities of the mask cult. We often talk about small business and American manufacturing and patriotism on this show. Three different things that all come together 
with our next guest, Katie and Wes Lyon. They are two of the three co-founders of Allegiance Flag Supply, which you all know is a sponsor here on this show. I have my Allegiance flag currently in my living room, and I'm actually taking my full outdoor flag set up to my parents' place later today to set it up on their balcony so we can have a uh, both Sexton households with Allegiance flags. Katie and Wes, thank you so much for joining. We appreciate it. Thank you so much, Buck. We appreciate having you having us on. So why did you guys get started making flags? How, how did it come yeah. to be that you figured, you know what, guys, I, I want I want to build a company where we're making the best all made in America flags you can get anywhere? No, totally, Buck. Um, so Katie and I, uh, we've been married for about six years or so. And one of the um, things that we wanted to do right when we moved into our first home, bought our first home uh, was really fly a beautiful, you know, well-done American flag. And really one of the things that we uh, started noticing is we'd put these flags up that we'd buy through Amazon or a big box store. And all of a sudden we'd look at our flags, you know, three or four months down the road and they'd be ripped and torn and tangled and faded and just kind of um, all, all around uh, deteriorating super easily. So we started to wonder a little bit more and look into flags a little bit more and Realize one of two things. Uh, American flags uh, sold in America are either one, made in China, which obviously really didn't sit well with us and uh, is totally not where the American flag uh, should be made. Or they were made domestically, but almost just kind of mass produced, um, really lacking sort of an attention to detail and a craftsmanship uh, and, and really um, just overall kind of lacking in, in, in quality and being able to, you know, withstand the elements. And so, you know, a lot of R&D uh, really led us t- uh, to a lot of testing and kind of to where we are today. And I, I know that from from your your origin story as a company, when you looked into this, you said that a lot of flags are made in China, which clearly <laughs> that's for a lot of people. They could really we got to have our American flags made in China. That that speaks for itself as, as an issue but that there were seamstresses that were able to do the work. Finding them even in the U.S. was difficult. T- tell me about that part of this, that even finding the, the, the skilled workers to do this was a challenge. Yeah, so um, we saw a lot, uh, or we've been speaking to a lot of um, the seamstresses that now work for us, and they saw a lot of their jobs go overseas, especially in the 90s. Um, and, and so what we really take a lot of pride in is really supporting those American jobs. Some, some kind of think as a lost art and really revitalizing um, what this is really a craftsmanship that they put into these flags. Um, all of them are made by hand with their personal sewing machines. And that, that was another element that's so important to us with making these flags. You know, they're not, even if some of these flags that um, we were purchasing before that didn't, last very long you know a lot of them are just spit out of a big machine um even if they are made domestically so um you know what what better than the american flag being made in america supporting american jobs and and really bringing back that craftsmanship speaking to katie and wes lyon they're two of the three co-founders of allegiance flag supply a sponsor here on the show go to uh, allegiance or show allegiance rather show allegiance.com make sure you use that promo code buck when you get your flag uh, we know we just had memorial day a lot of people showing flags and, and displays of patriotism then we've got independence day coming up and and now i i wanted you both to speak katie and wes or you know either or both of you to how it feels like these days 
showing your patriotism almost feels like it's going against the 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 consensus of of many in politics and in pop culture. Yeah, it really is, Buck, and and we totally see that, and and there's no doubt that we've seen that across, uh, you know, the media landscape these days. But what we really look at uh, with the American flag is we look at it as the kind of the ultimate unifier, or it certainly should be, and it's something that we believe uh, should be flown in front of really each and every household because you know we live in in the greatest country in the world. I mean. Just not paying respect to that um, is something that we're, we're totally against as a business. And before we let you go, I was just wondering if you could tell us about how you've been able to navigate the, the pandemic as a small business. You're trying to do made in America work, uh, doing made in America work and, and with with this mission of getting the best possible flags to people so they can show their patriotism and, and display their love for this country. H- how are you able to get through the covid situation? Yes. So it was difficult. It was incredibly difficult. You know, we're a small business. We didn't qualify for PPP because of the size of our um, company from the year before. So we had some serious grind. And and, and that's another hugely important part of our flags that not only are flags made in America and supporting American jobs, all of the materials used to make our flags are also sourced in America, too. So when COVID hit, you know, there was a huge halt, especially in American supply chain. So we really had to dig deep and um, pick up the phone and just start calling and, and really and reaching out to a lot of the relationships that we've made throughout building this company. And and we had a, a, a lot of a lot of help and, and we're very fortunate that we got through it. But we're definitely not here to say it was easy. Yeah, I'd say it's actually about giving us a chance to really expand our supply chain and, and meet other you know small businesses in America to utilize their materials um, in the building of our flags and our accessories. So it, it's kind of been a blessing uh, in disguise, although it was definitely uh, a little nerve wracking uh, at certain points. But I think the, the light at the end of the tunnel is here and, and we're excited to celebrate that for sure. Well, once we have everybody, Katie, in this audience getting a getting an allegiance flag, I'm just wondering once once we get them all outfitted properly to display their patriotism with the best flag on the market. Uh, do you all have any uh, expansion plans or anything that's on the horizon we should know about? Um, we're always in the works of uh, talking about the next big thing. Um, I think we are still focused on those um, 50 star American flags and offering new sizes, but um, I will tease that we've got four new flags in the work to hopefully be released here um, soon. We we, um, speak to a lot of servicemen and women and veterans every single day. And, and they're always asking for military branch flags and, and that's certainly um, that's something we're looking at very closely to hopefully be able to launch. That's what I was thinking about. Showallegiance.com, everybody. Make sure when you get your flag, use promo code BUCK and display your patriotism with the best flags you can get anywhere, all made, put together here in the USA. Katie and West Lyon, two of the three co-founders of Allegiance Flag Supply. Thanks so much for joining us, guys. Appreciate it. Thank you Doug, so thank much. Thank you. Appreciate it. Poso time, everybody. Our friend Jack Posobic of Human Events is with us now to tell us all the latest about Antifa, including his book on Antifa. Jack, tell everybody what's going on. 
Well, Buck, thank you so much for having me on. And what I would encourage everyone to do today is just so important. Go to AntifaBook.com, place your order, get in line. We are sending a message. This thing is shooting up. It's already a number one bestseller in a number of Amazon categories. It's racing up the charts. We want to send a message today of all days because today is the one-year anniversary. People don't remember this of the day that President Trump stood and held up a Bible out front of historic St. John's Church in Washington, D.C., just steps, literal steps away from the White House that had been set on fire a year ago last night by Antifa militants. That and the entire story of the summer of raid, the summer of violence in 2020 has been completely memory-hold. And one thing that I do in this book, where not only do I outline origins of Antifa and Weimar Germany, the the anarchist movement, the communist movement, the origin story of the CCP, I go through the entire timeline of the summer of 2020, every single incident, date, time, report, situation, action, outcome of everything that went through in that summer that for some reason we just don't hear about anymore from the mainstream media. Jack, people like my friend and yours, Andy No, who cover Antifa closely, as as you do, will say that they are a domestic terrorist group. The left and the corporate media, the Democrat media, will dismiss this usually and say, oh, that's that's crazy. They're they're not that they just are. They're activists. How how do you I want you as somebody who has this book out, everybody should go to AntifaBook.com. I want you to make the case to everybody listening that. No, they they really are domestic terrorists. Tell us why that's a fitting description for them. Well, the case is simple as this. Do you if you go back to Buck when you and I were in the intelligence community and I'm bringing my training to bear on this and I'm sure someone with your background you'll you'll understand, you know, my terminology and some of the methodology that I use here. Uh, you'll see the tradecraft is a terrorist group is someone who uses violence to achieve political ends. And we consider a domestic terrorist group to be one that's formed domestically. However, I'll even do you one better because in the book, I actually make the case that because of Antifa's ties to international terrorist groups, the same way that the Red Army faction used to go to the Middle East and train with the PLO, we've now seen Antifa members go to the Middle East and train with U.S.-designated terrorist organizations such as the PKK up in northeast Syria, right, they call it the Rojava Revolution, and then come back and use those very same tactics in places like where? The Chaz that we saw up in Seattle. This stuff is going on. It's real. It's happening. These are not things that are being discussed, again, by the mainstream media because they have taken a side. And for them, Antifa is almost like the shock troops of the woke corporations and corporate agenda because they achieve the purpose of shifting that Overton window further and further and further to the left. We're speaking to Jack Posobiec from Human Events, and he's the author of The Antifa Stories from Inside the Black Block, antifabook.com. If you want to get your copy today, I recommend you do so. Jack, what does Antifa believe? What do they really believe? So this is something that... And funny enough, it, it starts out with the very beginning of the book. I take you to never-before-published conversations between President Trump and FBI Director 
Chris Ray having this very same conversation in the Oval Office. Robert O'Brien's there, where President Trump is imploring him that you need to go after these guys. And Ray is sitting there shrugging his shoulders across the Resolute desk, saying, well, they're just an ideology. And Trump responds, yes, an ideology of terrorism. Essentially, what Antifa does, if you go back to their history, they were originally called the Red Front Group. And this was an example of a communist fighting brigade. The idea was a Trotsky idea, literally Leon Trotsky said that in order to spread the communist revolution, that we need to form these red front fighting brigades across the world to foment revolution. This is when the Soviet Union was still around. So they were sort of the head of the snake in terms of international communism. So Antifa is founded in Weimar, Germany, to destabilize the country and to shift things away from, again, in the Weimar Republic, they had, they, Germany was trying the democratic model. Obviously, we know how it went. Antifa was one of the groups that destabilized that government, attacked not, you know, you'd think they attacked Adolf Hitler. Uh, they were focused on the social Democrats of the day because Stalin told them that they were social fascists, that capitalism was the enemy, that the church was the enemy, that the state was the enemy. Buck, does that sound a little bit familiar to you? Does indeed. Seems like right, so this has been this has been their ideology from the start. It is their raise on debt. It is the very nucleus of the core of their of their ideology. And it is also fueled by what I call the cornucopia of corruption of these university cells, media outlets, and many of these left wing dark money networks that go into funding all of this. And we lay everything of about this out in detail name the names we have the receipts in the book it's right up there at antifabook.com everyone can get this we finally got all of it in one spot we're speaking to jack Posobiec, author of uh the antifa a book on antifa and i definitely tell you all now i think i think you'll really enjoy it get a copy of it and jack you go into your undercover experience in the seattle Capitol Hill Autonomous Zone, the CHAZ, as it was called for a while. They also called it the CHOP for a few days, if I remember, the Capitol Hill Autonomous, or Occupy protest, rather. And then there's the Capitol Hill Autonomous Zone, the CHAZ. What did you see, and what were people like inside Seattle's CHAZ last year? Well, you know, funny enough, the, 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 the opening of that chapter is the first thing I noticed was the smell. Uh, this is not exactly a group of of uh, hygienically minded individuals, shall we say. No, really what was going on was that during the day, you would see rampant drug use, you would see day trippers, tourists, you know, kind of made for TV footage of a pretty typical, somewhat peaceful protest for uh, uh, black rights, Black Lives Matter, social justice, etc. But at night, this is when things changed. And that was the difference of what I did, and what many other journalists did, uh, infiltrating the Chaz, as opposed to many in the mainstream who would show up during the day and then they'd leave and they go to their ritzy hotels, they go off in search of craft beer and avocado toast, and instead they wouldn't see the violent elements that reared their heads at night. We go through this, we go through the gunfire that we saw, uh, the gunplay, I should say, that we saw, guns pointed in people's faces, uh, people uh, setting fires people robbing things, uh, altercations that were breaking out. It got to the point where I knew this thing was bubbling over when we realized that there were actually criminal gangs 
that, hey, they found out that the police weren't going to a certain area, so they realized that at nighttime, that was the place to go if you wanted to conduct your uh, your drug deals or if you wanted to settle scores, right? That's what was going on in and around the Chaz. And we said at the very end of when we were leaving that Mayor Jenny Durkin needs to shut this down or people are going to die. Well, over the course of four separate evenings after we left, there were five separate shootings that took place in the Chaz uh, multiple people shot, two people dead, teenagers actually killed, African-American teenagers that were killed. And reportedly, we're told the investigation is still open on this, but the early reports that came out were that some of those teenagers may have been shot by the actual Chaz, quote-unquote, security that were manning this thing. Jack, when people say that Antifa is just, you know, cosplay radicals, that they're not serious, that we don't have to be concerned about them. This is a minor law enforcement issue. That's what leftists in the media will say when they occasionally have to confront the reality of the latest effort to burn down a federal courthouse, let's say, by Antifa in Portland. What, what are you, what's your counter to that? That, that effectively these are just uh, you know people that are they're, they're kind of loony and they have an exaggerated sense of their power and importance. And we don't then, and the right, the right exaggerates what a threat they are. What do you say? Well, I would say that if you look in the terms of 2020, we do see an evolution of tactics, right? Because going all the way back to the assault on Trump's inauguration, which nobody seems to talk about, um, but we get into uh, heavily in the book, I infiltrated a lot of the planning meetings for that and the riots that took place because those charges in many cases were dropped hundreds of charges dropped at, in what was called disrupt j20 for the 2017 inauguration of president trump it was almost as if they were given a free hand by the department of justice in order to commit many of these acts so then we see the evolution of tactics through 2017 2018 up into 2020 where they do become exceedingly more and more violent you then also see and this is something where uh, I make the case that essentially these these boogaloo boys that many people say, well, that's not really Antifa. They're not. But what they are is another type of an anarchist, um, in, you know, sort of a, a different color of a black flag, as it were. They're anarcho-capitalists who also are anti-state, anti-police and anti-government in many cases. They have killed police officers. They've killed federal police officers. They've committed bombings. We know there was a bombing or a potential bombing that almost took place on the evening of January 5th going into January 6th, RNC, DNC. The FBI still isn't sure who, who did this. We've seen the murder on the streets of, um, of Portland, which took place from Michael Forrest Reinhold. That, of course, was done by an Antifa anarchist. So in many of these cases, we've seen the evolution of tactics and we've seen a trend towards violence from multiple members of the of these anarchist networks jack Pasobic, everybody antifabook.com that's where you should go to pick up your copy jack uh have you had have you had any trouble in terms of censorship or anything like that uh, from any of the bookstores are they still care because I'm, I'm worried that you know antifa is going to start showing up at certainly portland bookstores they've done that to other people and try to get this uh out of the shelf so to speak off the shelves you know, it's interesting. So the book is out today. We haven't seen any of that yet, but I wouldn't be surprised if it doesn't come up. You know, of course, the usual online uh, 
peanut gallery is all upset about it and they're very triggered at, at antifa book success however we haven't had any problem getting it on the shelves we haven't had problems of people in the physical space yet i think i saw someone on, on twitter saying oh we should hold a book burning of of antifa's book i said great <laughs> what better marketing for me than have antifa burning my book there you go <laughs> that's that's certainly that's certainly true uh, Jack, man, always appreciate your insight and your work on this one. And just stay safe, okay? I, I, you know, you you infiltrate too many of these Antifa things, and at least some of the some of the stench is going to follow you. I hope nothing worse ever happens. But we appreciate you, man. Appreciate it, Buck. Take care, man. And congrats. And thank you, sir. Antifabook.com. Go now, Jack Posobiec. Everybody, Antifabook.com. Well, we've seen this time and time again. Uh, Minority Leader Mitch McConnell. Uh, has already said his goal is to defeat the agenda of this administration. We just had a vote on the January 6th riots and only had six strong souls to vote with us. That's a problem. And I don't think there's necessarily um, goodwill behind all negotiations. And I think the American people elected us to solve the problem of COVID, to rebuild the economy, rebuild the infrastructure. And I think it's our moment to act. I think we need a bold solution that does both the hard infrastructure of roads, bridges, high-speed rail, rural internet, but also the softer infrastructure, the human infrastructure of paid family leave, affordable daycare, making sure our kids are back to school so that all parents can get back to work. Yeah, let's like do the human infrastructure of like the stuff that's like for the humans that's like a structure for them, but it's not like actually a structure, but like let's just do that thing and just spend like a, a, a gajillion dollars, like a quadrillion, you know? It's like more than a trillion because it's so important that we have to like have a human infrastructure, Kirsten Gillibrand wants you to know. Yeah, totally. Oh, boy. This is the classic Democrat trick to act without any good faith and then say they're not acting in good faith. So let's just do what we want. No, Republicans don't have to go along with what Democrats tell them to. That's why we have two political parties. That's why there's negotiation. There's horse trading. There's uh, processes in the Congress. But this was this is straight out of the Obama playbook, which is they do what we tell them to do or else we just say we're going to do it anyway. <laughs> right. Remember, I got a pen and a phone. Remember Obama's whole thing, pen and a phone. They do what we tell them to or else. Hmm. That that seems like it's not particularly respectful of the temporarily in the minority political party, but. The Democrats are a party of authoritarianism and absolutism now. Do what we want or else. We'll just do it. They'll just do it anyway. It's not, it's, they're allowed to complain. They're allowed to say Republicans are obstructionists, right? They're obstructionists. They can say all this stuff. By the end of the day, uh, the, the, the difference is that Democrats will just say, well, we'll just do it by executive order and you know break down the checks and balances in our government and the balance of powers with the, among the three branches. And you know, that, that's really the issue here. Meanwhile, they're all they, they talk about lack of good faith and then they'll talk about how we we you know that that Trump is is like the worst thing to have ever happened. To the, he's not president anymore, but he's still he's the left's boogeyman. Trump is their boogeyman. They can't give it up. Play 12. This is democracy at stake. The bottom line is very simple. If Americans lose faith in the veracity and honor of our elections, 
It's the beginning of end of our democracy. That's what happens in dictatorships. People don't believe the elections. And Donald Trump has perpetrated the big lie, and this goes way beyond party. And I'm just terribly disappointed that so many Republicans refuse to even look at a bipartisan, down-the-middle look at it because they're afraid of Donald Trump. Donald Trump is a, is, a, is a bane to our democracy. And unless people in his own party stand up to him, it's bad for the party, it's bad for those individuals, but most of all, it's bad for the country. Senators should rest assured that the events of January 6th will be investigated and that as majority leader, I reserve the right to force the Senate to vote on the bill again at the appropriate time. Yes, that's what they really want. An honest bipartisan look at the events of January 6th. Yeah, yeah, Chuck Schumer is all about good faith and fair play and just such an honorable guy, such a good guy, little old Chuck. Give me a break. You know, there are Republicans, though, who will who will go along with this. There are Republicans who will decide that this is their opportunity to get a pat on the head from their opposition from the opposition. How many times have I told you you don't take political advice from your political enemies? You don't take coaching from those who want to see you fail, who want to control you and see you fail. So I think that's very important for everybody. Remember, as the January 6th commission continues to get all this push from Democrats. Oh, sure. This is what has to happen. No, it is not what has to happen. Ain't no party like a Team Buck party, because a Team Buck party don't stop. It's time for Roll Call. Team Buck party don't stop. That's right. It's time for Roll Call. Producer Mark playing those funky beats for us. Buddy, we got a, we got a, we got an apartment for Producer Mark yet, or what? What's going on here? Uh, still haven't moved. Still nothing. Oh, my gosh. I- I don't even know what to say to you. I'm literally speechless how it takes a month to even schedule a closing. Doesn't it feel like that's a little bit much? Doesn't yes. it feel like this is just getting a little crazy, Producer Mark? Look, it felt like a little much two weeks ago. I'm going to rip my hair out. I might be bald soon. I'm so stressed and angry. Oh, gosh. I feel defeated. Well, this, at least you've had plenty defeated. of time. At least you've had plenty of time to get get ready. You know what I mean? Get, get all packed up and good I to go. I couldn't possibly be more ready if i tried yeah mm. yep 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 well let's uh let's see anything else from your weekend anything we're telling everybody about no the, the weather really was terrible here you were lucky you were in miami in the sun it rained non-stop for the entire weekend here really oh like, so Monday, i'm glad a that little I... bit of sun but pretty much all or complete washout i got a little lucky on that one then although as i've been telling i told producer mark this before we did the show today Memorial Day weekend in Miami is uh, is not not recommended, I will say, although they did at the air and sea show. So uh, and my brothers live right on South Beach on the beach. I mean, that's where they, they, they live right there. And so they have like F-15s and F-16s and all these uh, doing these flyovers on the beach. It's an air show. You know, I didn't I didn't really get the sea part of it. I guess there's boats or something too, you know, military uh, vessels. Not like Thurston Howell the Third yachts, but you know cruisers and destroyers and stuff like that that show up too. But I will tell you this: uh, planes like an F fifteen, very loud, very fast, and kind of terrifying when you think about 
how in a different context, like you could they could actually be trying to drop bombs on you or something. You know what I mean? Yeah. You get the wrong person on one of those. And then it's not a pretty sight. Yeah. Like you wouldn't want to be on some mountaintop somewhere fighting. You wouldn't want to be, a, you know, a member of the Taliban who's got an AK-47 with, you know, 30 rounds in it or something. And, you know, an A-10 Warthog, which is a very sort of close air support, you know, heavy, um, heavy plane. Uh, or even an F-15 or one of these things, like looking for you and trying to drop bombs on your you know, warheads on foreheads. Not good. You're at a big disadvantage. That's yeah. for sure. It sounds a lot more fun to be on a beach sipping a margarita and watching them without any, you know, ammo. Yeah, there's no need for death or destruction. See, yeah. why, you know, why can't we all just be just everyone should be at peace, man. Sitting on the beach with producer Mark, drinking a marg, hanging out, doing our stuff. So there you have it. Um I, I went shooting on Saturday. I went with my friend uh, uh, India Paulino and her husband, Whitney. Great people. Uh, we had a lot of fun. India is a well-known um, fitness influencer, as is her husband. He's on the cover, producer Mark, of uh, in the past. He's been on the cover of like men's health and men's fitness and all this stuff. Um, so... I, I was asking him about things. It was nice because he was very supportive. I was like, yeah, I put on a few LBs during COVID. He's like, yeah, I haven't been working out as much either. And I was like, but you still look like Schwarzenegger when he was Conan the Barbarian, and I do not. <laughs> yeah. So You yeah. and I are the type of guys who aren't even allowed to buy men's fitness, never mind being yeah. on the cover. I mean, I, I was I was like, your, your biceps are the size of my quads, so I feel like you're doing okay. But we had a great time. We busted out uh, SP5, which is the civilian version of the Heckler and Coke MP5. We we fired uh, Glock 19. We fired a. Uh, my brother had a custom, uh, had a custom pistol. I don't know. My my brother's really into firearms, and you know, because he's allowed to own them because he lives in Florida now. I I can't even tell you how many guns he's got. But we we had spent a whole day. And producer Mark, we actually got a guy who is a an instructor at the range to join us for four hours, and uh, he is also very good at the firing of the weapons. And so that was that was my day. Man, it sounds like an awesome time. I'm glad you celebrated you. a little bit. Would you weekend. ever want to go to the range? If we get you the range, that interest you at all? Yeah, absolutely. I try it. Why not? All right, cool. We'll take you shooting sometime. All right, everybody. I thank you so much. I read through a lot of your messages over the weekend. So much congratulations and so much kindness from all of you. Uh, about the big announcement on Thursday that, yes, I'll be going in as Premier Radio Network's uh, newest co-host in the 12 to 3 slot, the slot formerly on Premier uh, held by Rush Limbaugh. And uh, it's it's going to be incredible. I mean, June 21st, it's going to come very quickly here. So I want you to all get ready for it. I mean, if you're listening you know, to this show on any station across the country, just know that I believe... Almost. Well, I think almost without exception, we'll just be your at noon. Maybe a few places might have a bit of a different schedule or clock or something. But I pretty much you'll be able to hear me at noon starting in a few weeks. And I'll be having uh, I'll be joined rather every day by my co-host, uh, Clay Travis, who, you know, he brings a whole other component to this. You know, he brings this a lot of cultural and political savvy, but also knowing something about sports. I mean, is it funny, producer Mark? You know, you you are our sports correspondent here de facto on the show. And I feel like I feel like it, it has all come together where now I'll be doing a show every day. We'll be another guy who knows a lot about sports. I could talk about it. 
Yeah, I think uh, me being the sports expert on the show, I'm certainly being replaced by Clay Travis. That's for sure. Well, I think he's you a guys both have a, you know you both have your sports. I mean, he probably isn't the uh, the huge defender of the Mets that you are. So the Mets fans in our audience, I'm sure, very much appreciate that. Yes, I would guess he is not also a Mets and Rangers fan. Like, yeah, I would think I would think not. Uh, but we're going to do a great show, and and everyone send in all your notes. Just know that I if I don't if I'm not responding to them all, it's we got hundreds and hundreds and hundreds. I mean, thousands really of of just messages and comments and everything. I appreciate every single one of them, and I I read through all of it, um, and and it's really kind. And for a lot of you, yeah, ten years, ten years to be an overnight success in radio, folks. That is what it took. Ten years of grinding it out, day in and day out, and and you should all also send your thanks into producer Mark because this last we really kicked it up into overdrive, Mark. The last uh, last two years when you took over as as producer of the show. And we've had more growth than ever, better ratings than ever. I mean, obviously, right? Because that's kind of how we got to the point. So people can't see you, but can you all just tell us that you are taking a bow? Yes, I am currently taking a bow. There you go. Producer Mark is taking a bow. Now let's get to some of your actual roll call comments here. Laura. Oh, and remember, if you want to be a part of roll call, facebook.com slash Buck Saxton or email us teambuck at iheartmedia.com. Laura writes in. Congratulations on your new show. I've followed you since the Glenn Beck days. I trust you as much as I did Rush. It's going to be a great show. Laura, that is really high praise and very, very kind of you. And I, I thank you so much. I I will do the absolute best show I can there every day. And Clay and I both know that it's it's there's a lot of um, responsibility here. That comes with this I mean, to be able to speak to that many people. I mean, folks, I'm going to be talking to millions of people every day, millions of people across America. Conservatives, not all conservatives, but mostly uh, are going to be hearing what I think is the most important news commentary and just view of reality in America every day. And that's I feel enough of a responsibility that I'm kind of obsessed with doing the best show like i'll just tell you that i mean i go to bed and i producer mark will i send him hey we need this cut or hey check out this story or we need this thing 2 a.m 3 a.m now i don't expect him to be awake and deal with them but i'm i'm thinking about this show all the time I mean, mark it, it is it is almost maniacal you can tell everybody oh yeah you are non-stop texting emailing yeah uh, if i don't get a text or an email from you after eight o'clock every night i'm surprised yeah see so yeah. there you go so i'm thinking about this all the time and that was before i was stepping into the biggest radio time slot and again i want to be very clear i'm stepping into a time slot i'm not i am i am replacing no one i am stepping into a time slot because there is no replacing for anyone there's no replacing rush limbaugh but i'm stepping into an open radio time slot with clay travis and it's a very big time slot so that's deeply meaningful for us and we're going to do a great show for you all Tyler, Buck, I heard the news about you and Clay Travis taking over for Rush Limbaugh. Congrats. I was wondering if you could explain how this will work and if you'll still do your individual show, too. Congrats again. Tyler, great question. Uh, the way this is going to work is that I'm going to be doing a live syndicated radio show every day for Premier Radio Networks with Clay Travis, 12 to 3 Eastern time. So if any of you are used to listening to Rush Limbaugh in the past on a premier radio st or sorry, an iHeart radio station. 
which there will be, I don't know the exact number, but it's hundreds of them. It's, I think it's certainly over 300. I don't know, you know what the total number will be quite yet. Uh, because we're also having some non-iHeart stations that are going to be carrying our show 12 to 3. Um, as for what this will uh, what this will mean for my show, as in the Buck Sexton show, that will continue as a podcast. So you'll be able to listen to the Buck Sexton show podcast every day. Now, it's not going to be as long as the current Buck Sexton show podcast. It'll be 30 to 40 minutes daily. That's the plan as of right now. I'd say 40 minutes is what you can expect. So first thoughts, which is what we put out now every day as our as our shorter version of the podcast. Essentially, first thoughts will become the Buck Sexton show podcast. And then the Clay Travis and Buck Sexton radio show will be at noon to three every day. And I'm going to try to have first thoughts done, you know, by 11 a.m. or so every day. That's the plan. And uh, and I keep going with my TV show. For those of you who've ever seen uh, the TV show at the first, please do check it out. The first has its own app. You can download the app for free and watch on the first. Totally. There's no subscription, nothing. Totally free. Just go to the first TV on your smartphone, download the app, and you can watch my show. And that's at 7 o'clock at night before uh, Bill O'Reilly and after Dana Lash. So, yes, please do check it out. Richard. Team Buck, congratulations. I read the announcement that you were selected to take over the afternoon time slot for the Rush Limbaugh show. Well-deserved. You are my first choice. I am not familiar with Clay Travis. I hope you will continue to take emails. Will producer Mark still be working with you? Keep that excellent sense of humor, the impressions, and the food talk. Best of luck. Not that you really need it. Richard, thank you very much. Super kind of you uh, to write in and and say all that. Um, As for... Let me see. We got a few things here. I will try to keep the sense of humor, the impressions, the food talk. I'm currently uh, talking to producer Mark about what he wants to do and what his what what he wants for his future. And we've got some plans there that we'll be unveiling soon. So uh, but I can tell you that producer Mark has been a plus world class. He's earmuffs right now for him. He's not allowed to hear this. He's been fantastic on this show. And and we're going to have great things for producer Mark going forward. Um, so did you, you can take off your earmuffs now, producer Mark. Were you talking about me? I didn't hear anything. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. He didn't hear anything, folks. Earmuffs. We'll come back with more roll call here in just a second. All right. Continuing now with Gina. Hey, Buck. Oh my gosh. I just heard the news from Glenn that you have been named as part of the dynamic duo to replace the incomparable Rush Limbaugh. This is incredible news. I know you are so up to the task. You are awesome, sir. And I couldn't be more thrilled for you. Congrats, Buck, man. You truly are a superhero. Shields high. Gina, thank you so much. Uh, I'm, I'm Look, I'm thrilled about it, and I think we're going to do great things, and I'm very excited to get to work with, uh, with Clay, and I think it'll be a really excellent show. I think we're going to cover a lot of ground, and you know, we bring di- different pieces to the table, and it'll be really worth your time to listen every day. I can tell you that. I mean, if you care about politics, America, culture, and even sports, because Clay can Clay can really talk about the sports. I can't, but he can. So I'll sit there. I'd be like, Clay, tell me about the Houston Oilers, you know, and he'll tell me about them, right, Mark? Not a team anymore. Right, exactly. But see, that's what. Instead of Mark telling me that, Clay will be there to tell me that, because yeah, I do. And he'll not. probably be a lot nicer too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. but at least at know, first. At first, he'll eventually get tired of me being like Don Mattingly is the best baseball player. 
Uh, I just thought he just had a cool mustache back in the day, you know? He did. A lot of the guys in the 80s did. I got got news for you, Bruiser Mark. I think the mustache is going to make a big comeback the next five years. You're going to see mustaches everywhere. It's going to happen because we've gone through the beard phase. As as Americans have gone through a beard crate, there was a tattoo phase. Now, I know some people still get tattoos and stuff, but there was a big surge in tattoos from about 2000 and... Well, I'd say about 2005, 2006 to, uh, you know, maybe 2020 or so. I think tattoos are a little bit. I need to look up the research on this. I think they're a little bit less common now for people to get get tattoos than they used to be. Uh, So tattoos had a big surge. Beards have had a big surge. Mustaches, baby, they're up next. And maybe uh, pierced uh, pierced ears for guys, you know, go with like the pirate ring, like the big gold ring in the ears, you know. Yeah, I don't think that's going to be a trend. Maybe we'll see. Um, but, I mean, I'm a trendsetter, producer Mark, so maybe if Not I say Not with it, mustaches and big gold hoop <laughs> earrings for men. I don't think if, so. <laughs> that would be quite a look for me, I got to tell you. I don't think I could pull off a mustache. You know, I'm not a commercial airline pilot. I'm not an 80s uh, an 80s cop, so I don't think an I'll be able to pull off. An 80s New York first baseman. Or an 80s New York first baseman, yeah. Uh, Chris, hey, Buck, well, we could all agree Rush is irreplaceable. I don't think there's anyone more capable than you are to carry the torch now. You're going to do great in that time slot. Congrats. Really, really happy for you. Very much deserved. Chris, thank you so much. Sam, congratulations. I was literally telling my wife last week how you'd be a perfect fill-in for Rush Limbaugh. You have knowledge and humor much like him. I look forward to our, to our new venture together as I listen. Sam, thank you so much. Honestly, guys, all the support. You, many of you have been listening to me from when like I was just getting started. And, and if you've joined even recently, I know there's all these different shows out there. It is so appreciated that you listen here and that you pass the buck. You tell people about this because uh, I love what I do. And I, and I every single person, every person who gives me their time and listens to the show is appreciated. Josh just heard the news. Congratulations on the time jump. I listen to you every day. I really appreciate your hard work. You're one of the few radio guys that I feel really gets it with their audience and is unafraid to tell it how it is. Look forward to hearing you and Clay better uh, or keep working strong. You have a lifetime of good work coming. I owe you a beer. Well, Josh, thank you so much. A gluten-free beer, but a beer nonetheless would be lovely. Team, more shows coming. More good things coming. Pass the buck. Now more than ever, Shields High.